0: You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or
1: if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't
2: ask on the Savage podcast.
1: One of the occupational hazards when you write an advice column is getting angry email and not just angry email from people who are mad about things you've written. You get angry emails from people who are mad about stuff that other advice columnists have written. They want you to jump down that other advice columnist's throat and give the person who asked them for advice the advice that they should have gotten according to the letter writer uh, but didn't get because the other advice columnist, whoever she is – and it's almost always she because most advice columnists are women – got it all wrong. And for the most part, I try to stay out of it. Although every once in a while I do play the advice cop on Slog on the Strangers blog and I will go after one of my colleagues in the advice industrial complex and lay into them when they really fuck up. And this week, Prudy really fucked up. Now, I'm a fan of Prudy and I often agree with Prudy. Very frequently people will send me links to Prudy's column at slate.com and they'll say, oh, look at this terrible thing she said. And I won't respond or say anything because I kind of agree with her. I don't think she's wrong as often as a lot of people think she's wrong. But this time, oh my God, she gets a letter from a guy in her 20s with a steady job and lots of good boyfriend qualities at the point in life where he'd like to settle down and maybe start a family. The problem is, he writes, I have a horrible time with women and it pretty much always comes back to the same problem. I have a very small penis. I have a condition called micropenis and it has been the cause of the end of a few relationships. One of my ex-girlfriends couldn't stop giggling and said, aw, it's so cute the first time she saw it. And he goes on about fearing that if he does find a woman who will settle down with him and settle for his dick, she will eventually cheat on him because she will need a big dick in her at some point. She will want that filled up feeling that only a big dick can provide. Prudy directs this guy with the tiny dick to dating sites for the disabled because having a small dick is a disability and non-disabled women – With small dick men will cheat, whereas disabled women with small dick men will not because disabled women aren't allowed to have preferences about penis size and, of course, should be happy with whatever they get. And at those disabled dating websites, says pretty small dick men can find women, quote, for whom intercourse may not be the primary way of expressing their sexuality but who want a physical connection. Close quote. Because, you know, obviously a guy with a small dick isn't interested in or qualified for or good at penis and vagina or penis and ass or penis and mouth intercourse, right? And disabled women, once again, never cheat. Ever. Right? It's like someone filled the water cooler at Slate this week with Everclear. Between prudy on small dicks – let's pause and wipe that mental image from our brains quickly. Between prudy on small dicks, writing on small dicks – And William Salton, or Salatin, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, writing about BDSM, it was really a banner week for sexual stupidity over at Slate. Everyone should, of course, be open to different types, and people with disabilities can be great partners and terrific lovers. Check out dating websites for the disabled is good advice for everybody, not just for guys with tiny dicks. And guess what? Some disabled women enjoy intercourse. Some of them have a preference for big dicks, and disabled women sometimes cheat on their partners because disabled women are human women, just like non-disabled women are human women. Here's a pretty really should have told her tiny dick reader. Biologically speaking, a dick is a big clit and a clit is a big dick. And guess what? There are a lot of people out there with clits, bisexual women, lesbian women, trans men, who intercourse the shit out of their partners on a regular basis. And here's how they do it. Strap-ons. You don't have to be a lesbian or a trans man to purchase a strap-on. And guys with average to small dicks who want to take a walk on the hung side, you have options as well. Check out cock sheaths and cock extenders for sale at oxballs.com and other sex shops and sex toy stores. Prudy's tiny dick reader, he can have as big a dick as he wants whenever he wants or needs a big dick. The lesbians figured it out 20 years ago when the strap-on revolution began. Now, there are, of course, some women, you know, they won't settle for a big silicone dildo and what they want is a big flesh-and-blood dick. That's their right. But a woman who falls in love with a small dick man may be willing to go there for him. And a bi woman who has used strap-ons in previous relationships with women has already gone there. And if this guy is able to set his own ego aside, if he can learn to use a strap-on expertly and without bursting into tears, if he can regard strap-ons and cock extenders as his friends – The women he dates won't be faced with having to choose between being with him and having the shit fucked out of them on a regular basis by something big. They'll be able to have him and all the great big dick intercoursing that they want if he embraces the technology that the lesbians perfected. The Prudy's Reader and anybody out there listening, if you've got a small dick, you just got to like love and accept your dick and be over it and build yourself an awesome collection of sex toys – and remember that, however small your dick is, I bet your fingers and tongue are of average or larger size. And you can employ those as well. And as we've mentioned many times, studies have shown that women with partners with below average penis size tend to report higher levels of sexual satisfaction in their relationships because their partners aren't like, ta da, look, I brought a dick. It's hard. Now I don't have to do anything else, right? I just get to lay back while you dance on my dick. Small dick guys aren't like that, they try harder. They get their partners off more and more often and in different ways to tell somebody with a small dick that he should retreat to websites for the disabled, stigmatizing both the small dick guy and people with disabilities at the same time. That ain't good advice. So I had to advise cop Prudy last week on that. Terrible advice. And anybody who's been paying attention to sex for the last 20 years, which I don't think Prudy has, would know. That that was terrible advice for small dick men and that there are options out there for small dick guys. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage.
3: Hi, Dan. In August of 2011, my then 15-year-old daughter found evidence that I was gay and that I had engaged in sex with men while married. My ex and I went through counseling and found it best to divorce, and we used a mediator to divorce as amicably as we could. I moved out in March of 2012, and our mediated divorce was final in August of that year. I feel good that my ex and I then and now strive to have minimal disruption of our family life as much as we can. I moved out. Our son was in college, and my daughter and my ex stayed in the house. I continue to be the house handyman. My mom, dad, and siblings stay in contact with my kids and my ex. I go to school, church functions, and involve my children, as well as doing all that is asked of me by my ex. I'm truly trying to be a good man, father, and accept responsibility. Financially, my ex and I both are covering half of the family expenses. While my son, who is now 21, has dealt with the divorce, my infidelity and coming out fairly well, my daughter, now 18, has not. My daughter has refused to speak unless in anger with me. Since discovering my infidelity and has demanded I stay out of her life for the last two and a half years, she has gone into therapy and last fall, her therapist invited me to our first and only joint therapy session, where my daughter spent the entire time assuring me that I would never be back in her life. Against my heart, but at the urging of my ex and my daughter's therapist, I have stayed out of my daughter's life. I attend all school and church events for both children, but when my daughter's events are over, I leave without congratulating her. At my daughter's request, I no longer send notes telling her how proud I am of her many accomplishments. I still send notes to my son and also birthday and Christmas gifts to both children. With the With the exception of this last Christmas, my daughter's gifts have never been acknowledged. The exception was on Christmas. After I texted to both her and my son, I love you, Merry Christmas, she replied, Thanks for the gifts. This was the first nice words I'd heard in years. I broke down and cried reading the text she sent. And I still cry when thinking of it. Now to my question. I believe that when you have been asked about relationships where someone in a person's family does not accept them, you have advised to that person that they move on, cut ties, and if and when family members learn to accept, then at that point they can work on rebuilding the relationship. Is this what I should be doing with my daughter? If I should cut out of her life, where does this cutting stop? If she wants me out of her life, do I still assist her with college funds and future financial needs? I help my son financially, but he still wants me in his life. I'll always love both children, but I'm feeling that my daughter would be using me by taking my financial aid from me after her continued aggression towards me. If I stay out of her life but pay for her finances, would I always be paying for guilt or am I showing her that I'll always be there when she wants me back, if ever?
1: You know, my advice to kids uh, who are coming out, who are gay, whose parents are being horrible, doesn't really apply in this case. Uh, I, I don't I didn't think. think it did because you know a kid who's gay didn't do anything wrong, and I don't want to heap any more guilt. I'm sure you felt terrible. You kind of did some things wrong, and under duress, which needs to be acknowledged. People don't who are gay don't you know wind up in heterosexual marriages and with children because that's what they want to do. It's what was expected of them, and they were forced into it by the culture mm-hmm. of their own families. So you did something wrong, but under duress, and that is. That you know that puts it into a context that exonerates you to a certain extent, right? So I'm not—I don't want to beat you up, right? But but you did do something that legitimately your your ex wife or your daughter can be angry about—the cheating and the lying, right? Correct. So I would advise you not to cut her out of your life and not to cut her off financially. Um, as galling as it may be to, to keep you know crashing over her like a wave, and she's a rock and not seeing any change. Um, you don't want to put her in a position where she feels like she has to bring you into her life sooner for the money and you don't want to have that doubt that if, you know, if you do make it see me and be nice to me or no money and she's suddenly seeing you and nice to you, that's going to curdle the relationship, right? Right. And it seems to me with that thanks for the gift, that text that broke your heart, that was really the first crack, right?
3: Well, yeah, yeah. and it's one of those things where I kind of wander too because, you know, I'm trying to do my best to, involved as I can and, and for instance yesterday I had an email from one of her teachers that she's failing another class mm-hmm. and so I I contacted her forensics coach and I said this is happening you know is there anything in forensics that you have just like in sports do you have to worry about grades and a few minutes later he had talked to her and I had a text that basically said you know I I don't want you to do my life I told you to stay out of my life fuck you
1: oh my gosh and, and it's two know, and a half years after the divorce.
3: Right. And I, and I texted back, you know, I'll, I'll always care. I'll always love you. I'm your dad. Mm-hmm. And she texted back and said, you're my biological father. That's it.
1: She sounds pretty angry still. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to toss something out <laughs> that I didn't really want to talk about, but I feel like I kind of have to. Um, my parents got divorced when I was 15 or 16 years old, and I didn't mm-hmm. see her speak to my father for four years a little longer than four years because I was angry and I was angry at him in a way that my siblings weren't. My older brothers and my younger sister were seeing my father and I would have nothing to do with him. I would walk out of the house when he walked in. I wouldn't speak to him because I was so angry uh, at what he had done to my mother and to us. And it took me four years to move through it and he kind of – You know, he soldiered through it. He didn't disappear. He, you know, would contact me every once in a while. But he did give me some space. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe... And I feel
3: like I'm doing that with, you know, for instance, when I go to her events, I don't go up and congratulate her. And I no longer even leave her cards that say, you did a great job. I'm really proud of you.
1: It sounds like she's reeling from the divorce, from the fallout, from all of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, no one wants to be the punching bag, right? or the focus of her anger, but you may be playing that part and that may be healthy for her to have an enemy, an outlet, you know, just for you to remember that you're the grown-up, she's the child, she's still reacting in anger and eventually it will burn out or most likely it'll burn out. I don't want to say eventually. Most likely she'll burn through this anger and she'll come through this on the other side. But, you know, a, a divorce, particularly if she was instrumental in in setting off the chain of events that led to her parents' divorce. I don't know what evidence it is that she found that you were cheating on her mother with men, but was that evidence traumatizing all by itself?
3: You know, I'll assume just finding anything out was traumatizing.
1: Did she walk in on you with a guy?
3: No, no, uh, I had a Facebook account.
1: Oh, okay. So it wasn't she like she caught email. you
3: in
4: bed no, nothing, with a dude. Nothing like that.
1: But still, it was traumatizing and she was instrumental in setting it all off and she may be reeling for a while as I was after my parents' divorce Mm -hmm. and you kind of got to suck it up and take the body blows as painful as they are knowing hopefully that your son is working on her a little bit, talking with her. As my older brothers talked to me about Mm -hmm. my relationship with my dad um, and eventually helped repair that, you know, bridge that gap that I have with my father and that your ex-wife that you have an amicable and cordial relationship with, you say, is also Mm -hmm. putting a bug in her ear about it. But you've got to be the grown-up and you've got to be the bigger man and you've got to be the parent and you've got to take some responsibility for your wrongs in this and you have to see that some of her anger is justified and then of course her anger is curdled by teenage emotions and drama mm-hmm. and just allow her to to throw those roundhouse punches and project yourself 10 years into the future. Just like 15-year-old queer kids who go to the It Gets Better Project and watch videos and see people whose parents were awful to them at 15 who are now good to them and those kids, those 15-year-old kids, I hear from them all the time who go to the It Gets Better Project. They say – that they're looking forward to meeting their parents in ten years, to the parent the people their parents are going to be, and they have that image in their head because of the It Gets Better project, you need to do that same thing. You need to play that same trick. Your daughter's being awful in the same way perhaps that a homophobic parent can be awful to a gay child. And instead of obsessing about who she is right now, when she's being awful, project yourself into the future and concentrate on the person she could be in ten years. She will not be that person in ten years if you retaliate against her financially. If you if you throw a monkey wrench into her future by refusing to pay for her college education the way you're paying for your son's education, even though she's being a dick.
3: Well, and, and certainly my question came about just because if she keeps telling me to stay out of her life, I'm, you know, I have no no communication. So it would be just giving the money to my ex wife, who would then pay for her college.
1: Which I think you should do, and let okay. your ex wife pay for the college. Ask your ex-wife to make sure that your daughter is aware that this is money coming from you and back off and give her some space and give her some time and think about who she'll be in 10 years. She Who she may be, very likely will be in 10 years but will absolutely positively not be in 10 years if because of her anger right now, you don't pay for her college education the way you're paying for your son's college education. Makes sense. It's a horrible, it's a horrible situation. I, 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 this is really a torment for me. Your call because I empathize with you as, you know, a gay dude, a gay man. Uh, I've met other gay guys who were married, had kids, came out. It was a big drama. Uh, there were hurt feelings. Um, you know, who had basically your experience. I also empathize with your daughter and what she's going through because I kind of went through that too, and I was very angry at my father for a very long time, um, and I got over it with the help of my siblings. Uh, And also because my father kind of played it right. He didn't force himself on me. He didn't ask for more than I could give him, but he didn't also retaliate in any way. Sure. Good luck. I'm really sorry. I hope things are improving for you. And I hope you can focus on your relationship with your son.
3: I think everything else was going really well.
1: Good.
5: I appreciate the call.
1: Sure thing. Good luck, man.
5: Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling about two friends that I went to college with. My two friends dated in school a man and a woman, and then. After college, they ended up getting married. They've been married for about four years. And um, the man in the relationship, great guy adore him. We always sort of wondered if he was gay, but once he, you know, dated this girl and got married and we loved him and were friends with both of them, we're, it literally was never another thought, never came up again. Well, he came out of the closet the girl and I, the wife and I are friends. She's a sorority sister and, you know, I'm friends with them both and I'm very supportive, I sent them a note like, you know, welcome out, congratulations. I'm glad that you, I don't know if congratulations is the right thing, but I don't know, but I cannot help, but be so incredibly angry with him because of what he's done to her. And while I'm, you know, happy that he's accepted himself and come out and, you know, done all these things. The grand gestures that he made, he proposed to her on the top of the Eiffel Tower. They were together for four years before they got married, and then they were married for four years. I, I'm I'm unbelievably angry with him, and I'm, I'm in a place where I feel like I'm torn. Like, I don't want to seem like a bigot. You know, I want to embrace him and his new lifestyle, but give me a break. Like, eight years, eight years has never really came up. You couldn't really face it. And, um, of course, she's, they're both, like, adorable. I mean, the cutest people you've ever seen in your entire life. And she's a sweet girl and trusting and honest. And, I mean, I just am angry with him and I don't really know. What to do? We're, I'm back in a situation where I'm living back in the same town as them, so I'm going to see them both socially. I've seen I've seen him socially. I've seen her socially. I just I'm angry, and I want to not be angry because they're good friends.
1: I don't see how this involves you, and you don't mention that your friend. Who's being divorced by the guy who came out of the closet is devastated or destroyed or angry herself particularly. So you're you know being angry at him for what he did to her when she obviously isn't angry enough or devastated enough for you to even mention her feelings and all of this leads me to believe that you're inserting yourself into a drama that doesn't really involve you and this isn't about you. So back the fuck off and mind your own goddamn business. You do, you know. However, you have a right to your feelings, and you should feel the fuck out of your feelings. Because what else are you going to do with your feelings but feel them? And if you want to understand, if you want to wrap your head around what's going on with him, maybe you could talk to him about it and say, embrace how irrational you're being, and say, "I have these kind of irrational feelings of anger about you coming out, particularly because you were, you know, the top of the fucking Eiffel Tower for the proposal, which is really a gay thing to do, by the way." and you know how four years courtship four years marriage on behalf of my friend i'm angry because it really seems like you were being incredibly deceitful and went out of your way to be kind of romantically deceitful and that makes me upset and then listen to what he says what's his story is he a mormon whose family threatened to disown him or you know or retaliate against him financially not pay for his college or disown him um In some way, was he brought up by fundamentalist right-wing nutjob Christian fucking psycho haters who pounded it into his head that he had to marry a woman and he had to have children or he was no son of theirs? There's a lot of people out there, a lot of gay men who under duress, as with the last caller, will marry women, will do what their families and the culture have pushed them to do. Is he one of those guys? If he is, that doesn't excuse his behavior. It puts it into context though. It, it, it places it. You can be a little more empathetic. There's a lot of gay guys out there who've married women because they really genuinely loved this woman and they wanted to do what they thought was the right thing. They maybe even enjoyed sex with this particular woman. But then they realized they couldn't live a lie all their life. Thank God these two have don't have children. Obviously that can be worse. That can be more complicated for all. Per the last call. So hear him out and listen to your friend. You say you've moved to the same town and you're going to see them both together socially. That means they have enough of a decent sort of post-marriage friendship to hang out together. Obviously, their relationship isn't poisoned by anger or resentment. So why should yours with him or with them be poisoned by anger and resentment? I don't get it. But – you got it. You, you're angry. That's in you. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not. To have a talk with him. See what he has to say about it. Qualifying, of course, the things that you say to him with an acknowledgement that they're kind of irrational. Just say that. You know, I have these feelings. I don't know what to do with them. They're, they're kind of irrational because what happened between you guys really doesn't involve me. But I just feel this, this anger. And I would like to know why you did this. Why the top of the Eiffel Tower? Why the marriage? Why her? Why my friend? And then listen to him. And I bet you're going to hear a story that dials your anger way back and dials your sympathy for him perhaps up. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is A Queer and Pleasant Danger, a memoir by Kate Bornstein. It's the true story of a nice Jewish boy who joins the Church of Scientology and leaves the church 12 years later to become the lovely lady that she is today, Kate Bornstein. If you've read Going Clear, that terrific new book about Scientology by Lawrence Wright, A Queer and Pleasant Danger is a terrific companion piece to that book. From the inside, Kate knew L. Ron Hubbard and was there very early in the creation of the Church of Scientology In her memoir and her perspective and her stories are really compelling. So if you've read Going Clear, now's the time to read or listen to A Queer and Pleasant Danger by Kate Bornstein. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage.
4: Hey, Dan. My name's Jesse, and I'm a straight dude from San Francisco. So I am a partner of a sex worker and I recently uh, came out to my parents that I am a partner of a sex worker and got disowned. Um, so I'm really heartbroken and it's really hard. And I'm trying to take all your advice that you give for queer folks coming out to their parents, but there's just a major difference. The difference is that this is something that I'm choosing. I guess my question for you is can I apply? all the advice that you give to people who are coming out about something that they don't have a choice about to this situation that I do have a choice about. I love my partner. I love being a partner of a sex worker. I'm super supportive. We are sex worker activists. Like this is something that I've chosen. This is not something that I've fallen into. Um, And I just, you know, I don't, I've expressed this to my parents, but I just don't think they will ever see or understand that. And so, therefore, they have disowned me. So, yeah, can I apply the lessons that you've taught me about coming out as a queer person to this situation?
1: So listening to your call about two-thirds of the way through, uh, I made a note here on my notepad that says, need-to-know basis. That's how we run our parents. When it comes to our sex lives, we run them on a need-to-know basis. Your parents – you know, if you're gay and you have a husband, you kind of have to let them know you're gay. You kind of have to come out to them about who you're going to date and who you're going to be with uh, because there he is. There's your partner, male. Um, so they need to know that. What you do to him, what you do with him, the the sex life that you two have together, the particulars of it, the details, they don't need to know that. So you don't tell that to your parents. You don't overshare. Your parents don't want to hear about the details of your sex life any more than you want to hear about the details of theirs. They ran you on a need-to-know basis about them if they were good parents and you run them on a need-to-know basis about you. So halfway through your call, it's like, why did you tell your parents that your girlfriend was a sex worker? Did they need to know that? And then you answered that question for me. When you said that you two are sex workers' rights activists, that's a public thing. And the chances that your parents would stumble over evidence of your activism, if your girlfriend writes as most people who are sex workers' rights activists do, if she writes or blogs or is a public face or goes on television, this isn't something that you'd want your parents to find out by accident or stumble over. So you were right to go and tell them they did need to know this. Because the odds were that they would find out sooner or later and better they should hear it from you. So what do you do now, now that they've disowned you? You love them through it. Like the first caller is kind of loving his daughter through this fit that she's having. And she has, as I said, some right to be angry. You just love them through it. They've disowned you. You send them a card at Christmas. You... Let them know that when they're ready to have a relationship with you again, you're ready to have a relationship with them. You keep the channels of communication open. You let them know where you are and what your phone number is and that when they're ready to talk, you're ready to talk. Maybe send them a couple of books about sex workers' rights and the kind of activism that you're doing. And then when they calm down, perhaps they'll reach out. Remember, that the advice that I give to queer kids applies, I think, here. Your parents are having a tantrum in an attempt to control you. To break you up. If you keep seeing this woman, you are disowned. We will have nothing to do with you. You are out of our lives. They're trying to force you to do what they want you to do. Once they realize that they can't force you to do what they want you to do, they can't force you to be straight if you're gay. They can't force you to dump your girlfriend if you love her. It will stop. But the tantrum is going to continue for a while because they ha- it has to get through their thick skulls and it's not going to work and that takes some time. So stand your ground. Don't go home. Don't see them. Keep those channels of communication open and hopefully they'll come around in time as most people's parents do once they realize that tantrums don't work for parents any more than they should be allowed to work for toddlers. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE, and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's AdamandEve.com, and enter Savage at checkout.
0: Hi, Dan. Um, I have a question about light S and M films, and whether or not I should tell my boyfriend that I want to make one. I really like to um, dominate guys. I like to do uh, perform light BDSM on them. I, w- I really want to make a video where I am, like, dressed as Catwoman, and um, I degrade or, like, do humiliating things to a guy. Um, but I don't think that my boyfriend will um, be on board with this because we've had kind of, like, a tumultuous sexual history. Like, he waited, um one and a half years not having sex with me just so we could be together, and now we're a couple, and we do have sex, but entirely open with each other so I feel like this is not a good time to ask him but I really want to make this movie and uh, I struggle and add that he knows I get a set life and he knows that I write erotic stories but he doesn't know about this movie and I don't think it's a big deal I think it's r- rather harmless and um, I'm going to be making you know, a lot of people very happy and I'm not going to be degrading myself so um, let me know whether or not you think that he
4: deserves to know about
1: this. Just an example. Let's say that I wanted to paint the house that I live in with my husband bright pink or fuchsia or purple, some horrible phosphorescent color, and I didn't think it was a big deal. But Terry did. Well, because Terry would think it was a big deal, then it's a big deal for me too whether I like it or not, whether I think it's a big deal or not. It becomes a big deal because it's a big deal for... My partner and because he's my partner, I have to take – because he's my husband. I have to take his feelings into consideration when I make decisions even about things that wouldn't necessarily impact us both. Let's say I wanted to get a tattoo on my face. It's my face. I should get to do what I want with it. Well, that impacts him. I have to take his feelings into consideration about face tattoos and he is very face tattoo negative. Let's say I wanted to be in a movie where I did something crazy – that he didn't want out there that might implicate him in some way, that people make make assumptions about our relationship if I'm in that movie. Well, I have to take his feelings into consideration even then. So I, I would urge you, you know, it sounds like you're young, new relationship, you've – with a guy who was in a kind of delicate state and you've nursed him to a place where he's fully sexual and you guys are getting along and things are good, now might not be the time to –… to push the envelope and there will be other fetish films in the future. So I think your best course would to go to him now and say, you know I have, I'm have i on FetLife and you know that there's this dimension to my sexuality that doesn't really interest you and you're good enough to let me express it in these ways. I write porn. I'm on FetLife. … You know, I have this opportunity to be in this film and I'm not going to do it because I know that you wouldn't like it right now. But just so you know that sometime in the future, I would really like to do this sort of thing. So I hope as we grow and become more comfortable together as a couple and our love gets stronger and you get more secure, that we'll reach a place where this won't be a big deal to you. And if you say that to him, I think he'll reach that place more quickly. If you just run out behind his back and make that film – You're writing the death warrant for this relationship. You're going to violate him and with foreknowledge that this will be a big deal for him, that he will be very upset. Some people are going to call and say, I'm allowing your boyfriend to control you and control your sexual expression and that's not okay." and people shouldn't be controlling. That's true. But you have to balance shouldn't be controlling with have a right to expect consideration from a partner and an obligation in a relationship to take Each other's feelings, insecurities, emotional state into consideration when you make decisions about things like appearing in a fetish film. So put that shit down. Put that marker down. Your expectation is your relationship will get stronger. The love will be stronger. He'll be healthier and healthier and at some point you will do these things. You will express this side of your sexuality Um, and if he's not down with that over the long term, maybe you should end this now. But right now – taking into consideration who he is and where he's at, who you guys are together and where you're at together, you're going to give it a pass. But someday you're going to want to do this. You're going to want to make a couple of these films and you want to make it with his blessing. And I think you're likelier to get his blessing and get it sooner if you pass on this opportunity now.
6: Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm an 18-year-old guy with a, a wonderful GGG girlfriend. And uh, I've been trying out picking with her. And, like, I, I find the idea really hot, like, submitting to her but i find the actual physical sensation quite difficult i've practiced like with fingers with uh myself and she, and she kind of t- eases me into it and we've been trying a lot but i uh i don't know we haven't really gotten to a rhythm where she's really been able to like actually like fuck me we have a harness and we have, we have a dildo called the, the real doe so i don't know if it's i mean it's actually one of the smaller models so i don't know if it's uh that I, my body is just physically not able to handle it, or if I need to find some position, advice uh, would be appreciated.
1: You are in luck, caller Tristan Tarramino, author, activist, feminist, pornographer, podcaster, frequent guest expert on Savage Love and here on the Savage Love cast, and according to Twitter, God's vote for butt sexiest poly librarian lookingest writer, producer, actress, lecturer has a new video out from Vivid Ed called Pegging Strap-On Anal Sex for Couples, the Expert's Guide. Uh, And she is here to walk us through what you might be doing wrong and how you can get the pegging you want and deserve. Hey, Tristan, thanks for jumping on the phone with us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Um, Good to have you back. You realize now, though, that you're doing your own sex podcast that I will have to have you killed. I didn't know. Has there a hit been issued? <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I don't need any competition, especially from someone as competent and qualified and hilarious <laughs> as you. What's the name of your podcast?
2: It's called Sex Out Loud.
1: Sex Out Loud. It's really terrific and people should go find it. Thank uh, you. But keep downloading this podcast that led you to that one. Um, so tell us, what do you, you You got to listen to his call. What do you think this, and Brave New World that has 18-year-old straight boys in it who want to get pegged in their asses, let's acknowledge that, but what do you think he might be doing yeah. wrong?
2: Well, I'm not sure the exact dildo that he referenced. I don't know if he said fieldo or real but but I suspect the dildo might be too big.
1: I think it's too I, small.
2: Oh, <laughs> Dan... If it's the field, though, I mean, even the small version is big. And you can't jump from, like, one finger to the field, Like Like, that's just too – got to get in between there. Why do you think it's too small?
1: Well, sometimes people – you know, I've talked to people who are trying to, to make pegging work, and they've talked about the dildo they're using. And it needs to be long enough that when she pulls out to thrust back in, she isn't pulling – almost all the way out. Cause then she's basically punching through your sphincters over and over again. You want something okay, that's big yeah. enough and long enough to be so she can, you know, fuck you yeah. without having to repenetrate you each time she thrusts.
2: Okay. So we have to be more precise with our language here. Long is good. Long is great. Um, but, but if it's also really fat and thick, I think that may be why he's experiencing pain. Okay. I agree with you that long is good. Um, I am also just interested in if she can use a dildo on him without the harness.
1: Hmm.
2: I feel like that, you know, we, he said fingers and he said they warmed up, but I want to see the, her to use the dildo on him without the harness, take the fucking part out of it for a second mm-hmm. and see if they can get a rhythm going just with her hand and him getting used to that particular dildo i feel like that's a a safer bet and then they can start experimenting with her strapping it on because if she's never done it before you know it takes a little bit getting used to those of us who weren't born with a penis when you strap one onto your body your your center of gravity shifts and you gotta like really figure shit out it's hard
1: (laughs) i hope so it better be it's always hard it's a strap on
2: you, you like, start using muscles that you didn't – don't normally exercise. Um,
1: they should also – you know, he did at the end sort of, you know, quickly throw out that do we need to try different positions? Like, yes. If you've yes. been doing it in the same position every time, that could be the problem. When, and know,
2: that's an interesting quandary because for a beginning pegger, for her with the strap on – I would say doggy style is really easy because you've got a clear view of where you're going. He can shift his body slightly to get a different angle and you can grab onto him for some thrusting power and some leverage. But for him as a beginning receiver, I would recommend spooning because I think that spooning can be a little less intimidating. You can't go super deep in spooning Mm -hmm. and I, I feel like the more shallow penetration may be a little bit better. And you can't, like, jam it in there really hard God, when
1: what's you're the in point, spooning. Uh-huh.
2: But but the thing is, when you're, if you're an inexperienced pegger in spooning, that can feel like a really awkward position.
1: There's also him on his back and her between his, like, sort of anal missionary, they call it. Some people think that's not possible, but that is possible and then where they can he make his legs over. Right. He pulls his legs up. And they can then make eye contact and, and and he can breathe. And I think that's really important. You know, one of the problems with doggy style for novices, or spooning even, is you really aren't looking at each other's faces. And it might be hard for her to judge you know the the speed at which she's penetrating you. And it's really important, and a lot of people with anal make this mistake, particularly straight couples. Who've, who've, you know, had a lot of vaginal intercourse and expect the butt to work kind of just the same, and it doesn't work at all the same. At all. It's very different. So right. the, the pace of penetration has to be much slower. You have to give the penetrated party a chance to breathe and adjust. And the fucking when it starts is millimeters, like a little out, a little in, a little out, a little in, a little out, a little in, and you build up to slamming away porn star style.
2: Right, exactly. And also I think you have to realize, as you know, that – even those millimeters feel really good for the receiver because everything feels magnified when it's in your ass. So, so you don't have to do that much work. To, That's to why clean. I keep my
1: car keys there. I never lose them.
2: <laughs> really intense. They're, they're magnified in
1: my ass. I always know they're where my magnified. car keys are if I keep them in my ass.
2: Yes. So I think they do need to experiment with positions um, and I think they need to get comfortable with the toy before she puts it on her body.
1: And lay in a few more toys, a few other dildos of different sizes and don't, you know, sometimes it is, the problem is too big and people's eyes are bigger than their asses uh, right. and they're too ambitious. But paradoxically, sometimes they're using too small, a dildo. If you're, if you're using some sort of ridiculous little dolphin dildo. or or some tiny little dildo because you're really scared, that can actually be worse than some not quite as big as a shit you took that week, but (laughs) close.
2: I really love this dildo by Vixen Creations. It's a silicone dildo. They call it Mistress. (laughs) It's long and thin, and it's got a nice little head, but the head's not too fat or chunky. I think it's the best first
1: strap-on dildo and also you just really quickly and I, I think you would agree with me on this for straight guys who are interested in pegging or anal play a butt plug is a great starter toy because you put it in it stays in and then you can fuck and you can have an orgasm while there's something in your ass and you can begin to associate being penetrated with that kind of pleasure and it does heighten your orgasm when you have a butt plug in your ass and it doesn't move around it doesn't fuck you and I think that's a really important sort of psychological hurdle to clear for a lot of people that there's something in my ass and I just came. And to I'm make wondering that association. I they also
2: skipped a step. I, you know, the, the, the fingers, and when he described it, it seemed kind of uninspired. I feel like maybe he's so focused on pegging that they rushed through pleasure. all the other yummy things that you can do before pegging.
1: Because they're too goal oriented, they're too straight about it. That the, the the point, if the point is to get a dick all the way up your ass, you don't want to hurry toward that. You will get hurt.
2: No, no. So I agree about the butt plugs for sure, and other toys, and just getting really, really comfortable with anal play before you progress to the next thing.
1: The video is called "Expert Guide to Pegging Strap-on Anal Sex for Couples." From Vivid Ed, created by Tristan Tarmino, you can find out all about her stuff and everything she does, including her rival podcast, at www.puckerup.com. Thanks so much for jumping on the phone with us, Tristan.
2: Thanks, Dan.
6: Hi, my name is Damien, and um, I'm just curious about the debate you were going to have that the guy said name, the time, and place, and you said your house for dinner. Um, I didn't ever hear a follow-up of that. Maybe you didn't. I just missed it.
1: That debate happened. If you go to YouTube, look up Dan Savage versus Brian Brown. The dinner table debate pops right up. Mark Oppenheimer, who is the moderator from the New York Times, he wrote about it in the New York Times. Brian Brown wrote about it on his blog. Uh, There's a lot of commentary about it. I haven't written about it or really said much about it until now-ish. I have a book coming out in May called American Savage and there is a chapter in that book, 10,000 words on – the Dinner Table Debate, Me versus Brian Brown, from my perspective and how it all went down. The title of that chapter, Bigot Christmas, which is kind of how it felt at our house because Brian Brown was coming to dinner and we had to clean the house like it was Christmas. We were dusting everything because there was a camera crew and photographers from the New York Times. So it was Bigot Christmas, Terry said. Uh, so the book comes out in May, American Savage. You can read all about The Dinner Table Debate or you can watch it right now at YouTube. By searching Dan Savage versus Brian Brown, and you should pre-order American Savage at Amazon.com or at your local independent bookstore now.
6: Hi, uh, listen for a long time and uh, just listen to podcast number three two eight, uh, specifically the bit where the guy's standing outside the dressing room. Uh, he's just being creepy and needs to realize that and cut it out. But a lot of us do realize when a situation is potentially creepy. Particularly, I've noticed when I'm, uh, you know, walking somewhere, I work nights, so I tend to be, you know, out moving around at night a lot. And with only one or two exceptions, if I happen to be walking behind a woman on the street, she's either oblivious to the world around her or, in most cases, you know, starts to be visibly a little bit nervous. Um, I'm six foot four and 240 pounds, so, you know, your imagination can run wild with that. A trick I've discovered, for those of us who do notice that, and you know, kind of feel a little bit bad about making people nervous is I take out my phone and fake either making or receiving a phone call. Now, the few things you have to do to get this right are you have to speak in a happy tone of voice and loud enough that she's probably going to hear you. You've got to mention where you're going so that if, you know, you happen to be taking the same turn at the end of the block or whatever, you're, you know, you've diffused the potential that you're following her. And also, announce plans or, you know, going to be there in, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. Something that's soon enough that it's obvious you have no ill designs in the meantime. That one particularly rang true with me because you mentioned that uh, a lot of guys are just kind of dense about that sort of thing. For those of us who aren't, you can do that, and it works. They calm down right away. Half the time, they slow down. It diffuses the whole situation.
0: Hello, Dan Savage. I do not have a question. I have a comment-slash-request. I did something terrible, awful, like, a month ago with my boyfriend, and I looked in his Facebook and looked through his messages like a snooping bitch, and I need you to remind me, and women, and men, and everyone out there, to respect the privacy of the person that you're dating. Because when I looked through there, I saw shit that didn't mean anything, and I turned it into this clusterfuck of shit that meant something, and it didn't. It was nothing. I need you to remind everyone out there that snooping is never a good idea. Ever.
1: And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or call for a future show, give us a buzz. There is a comment thread on each and every show at thestranger.com slash lovecast. If you want to jump in and argue about this week's show, that's the place to do it. Thanks very much to Tristan Tarmino for jumping on the phone with us to talk about pegging. The podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at risk youth. We'll be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.